You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast, your go-to podcast for all things Miami Marlins. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a longtime Marlins writer, as well as a prospect writer and analyst. And in today's episode, we have a lot to discuss. It's been a rough stretch, to say the least, for the Marlins, and there is plenty and I mean plenty to go over, whether it is managerial decisions, whether it's front office decisions, there are a lot of things to unpack. That being said, I don't want this to be a perpetually negative podcast when things are going poorly for the Marlins, so I will obviously be highlighting a lot of the positives. Sandy Alcantara, with one of the best outings I've seen from him. Yes, he's had a couple complete games and had outings maybe with a few more strikeouts, but I just loved how much weak contact he was able to get, how much he was commanding the strike zone. He looked like he was a man on a mission. Obviously, some history with the Cardinals. That's where he started his career and ultimately traded to the Marlins. So I'm sure he likes to go back there and shove. Not that he spent too much time in Bush Stadium, but there's always something about going back to that old team or that team you started with. And you could see a little bit of an extra fire under Sandy Alcantara. But Sandy probably also saw the lineup that the Marlins had deployed that day and knew, oh man, I'm going to have to go eight scoreless and he did and it still was not enough he goes eight and a third without giving up an earned run but picks up the loss because the cardinals walk it off on an unearned run in the bottom of the ninth off the bat of yadier molina marlins get swept in that series and fall to 10 games under 500 a much needed off day today for the fish so the good news is the marlins cannot lose today on thursday june 17th but they need to get things together for this series with the Cubs because you know what? The Cubs are going to want to beat the crap out of the Marlins, even if this isn't the 100% healthy Marlins team that beat them in the playoffs in their own stadium and then smoke cigars in their stadium. I know there were no fans there, but I am sure that the Cubs would love to sweep the Marlins here and they are going to come out swinging. I can promise you that. And the Marlins are going to have to score more than zero runs, right? You can't win if you don't score. And the Marlins found that out the hard way in that game against the Cardinals. I'm looking forward to being able to talk about some of these 40-man roster decisions, some of the questionable things that we've seen around this Marlins franchise because I think it is important to hold them a little bit accountable and discuss it. But I also want to talk about, like I said, some of the positives a little bit on Nick Fortes, who is really solidifying himself as the Marlins best catching prospect. He has come a long way offensively this year, and it has been a nice boost for this Marlins organization that has a huge, huge gaping hole when it comes to the catching position. We're still hoping that Will Banfield can put it together, but that might be a bit of a tall ask given his offensive struggles throughout his professional career a stud defender, but he's looking like potentially more of a backup 
type of catcher. We'll see. He's still got a lot of time to figure it out, but there's just too much swing and miss there. For Fortes, it's been really fun to watch him put it together offensively. Fishstripes.com put together a really good piece. It was Spencer Morris who does a lot of their prospect coverage on the improvements that Fortes has made at the plate, and you can see them. They're tangible from the videos that they provide, and I did a little bit more digging on my own to see what else really stood out to me from the changes in Fortes's approach. And as Spencer points out in the piece for Fish Stripes, the lower half has made a major, major change for him. And the big thing that I see that stood out to me beyond anything else is that with the improved control of his lower half, he has really eliminated that forward movement that saps your power and does not really allow you to have the maximum bat speed. When you have that drift forward, your weight shifts forward before your bat does, before you start your swing, you are going to have that barrel drag. And that's exactly what happened with Fortes throughout his collegiate career. He was able to get away with it his junior year as he got more physical and strong, but it still wasn't the best swing from him. And then in the early parts of his professional career, now he is really getting into his back hip a lot better and not drifting forward after he gets into the back hip. Before, it didn't seem like he was really loading into the back hip. It was more of a teetering, a weight shift backwards just to shift back forwards, where now he gets into the back hip and then rotates a lot better. That's why we're seeing a lot more power from him. He's really rotating on that back leg a lot better, and that's something that we didn't see. And it's really fun to watch Fortes make those improvements because they are definitely making a translation into the statistics and into the ball game. He has been great in double A. And mind you, he has never played above high A. So it's not like this is his second season in double A and he's just gotten used to it and he's a bit more acclimated. This was a jump for him from high A, 76 games in 2019. Now he comes back in 2021 after the year off with these adjustments at the plate and looks great. And if Fortes had one thing going for him throughout his professional career and collegiate career, it's that he doesn't strike out a lot and he walks a decent amount. That was something that gave him a higher floor. The problem was that he wasn't hitting much at all, and that was going to hold him back from being in the majors. Obviously, you got to be able to hit even at the catching position. I will say, though, his defense has looked really strong, and that was going to help him along the way, and that's why I thought he always had a chance to be a good backup, but now he's making a case to, hey, look at me. I could potentially be a starter. He's thrown out 44% of base runners so far this season. That is also a great, great figure. The average right around the high 20s usually depends year to year. So with these improvements to his lower half, what has that meant for his offensive output? Well, after hitting 217 with an 82 WRC plus in 2019, albeit also in the Florida State League where the ball does not carry nearly as much as I talk about all the time. Obviously, it's a bit different now that all the minor league affiliates have shuffled around, but in that league in 2019, it was also not the most optimal place to hit. Now, in 30 games so far through 2021, he is putting up the same walk and strikeout rates, which is great. Even with the added power, still walking more than 8% of the time and still striking out only 16% of the time. But the 283, 350, 425 slash line is good for a 117 WRC+. As I mentioned, throwing out 43, 44% of base stealers has already hit a couple home runs, is well on pace to almost doubling up his extra base hit total in 2019 through 76 games because he's played 30 games so far. Definitely on pace.
space to shatter that, as you can see from the isolated power, which was at 0.091 in 2019. And even if you don't know how isolated power is computed, the higher the number is, the better. It was at 0.091 in 2019. It's at 0.142 in 2021. So not quite double, but a good 65, 70% boost from where it was before. So Fortez has been awesome, and that is a really good development. I would say still proceed cautiously, but there is definitely reason to pay attention to him and say, okay, this guy might be figuring it out, especially when we see the tangible adjustments that he's made at the plate with that lower half. I am very encouraged by Fortez, and he has my attention, no doubt about that. But speaking of guys in the upper levels of the minor leagues, and I mentioned this guy, another dude that has really put it together so far this season, and a guy that I would love to see be called up to the major leagues, and this is going to segue me into a little bit of the roster decisions that don't make any sense to me, Bryson Brigman. Since I talked about Bryson Brigman, he's only hit more. He's only hit more and more. He had another three-hit game. He's now up to 321, 380, 486 slash line. That's an 866 OPS in AAA Jacksonville. And the Marlins actually did call up an infielder from AAA Jacksonville in the recent days. He actually made his season debut for the Fish in yesterday's ball game where they got shut out. And as I alluded to earlier, where Alcantara probably saw that lineup and was like, oh man, I'm going to have to go full Superman mode here and carry this team, which he essentially did. And they still couldn't win because they couldn't push a run across. I mean, look at this lineup. And the guy that they called up, by the way, is Devin Marrero, who went over three. And Marrero, a career minor leaguer, really. He's had some stints in the big leagues, but has never really put it together. Scattered across parts of six seasons with Boston, Miami, and Arizona. He's a 193 career hitter with a 521 OPS. And you might be thinking, oh, maybe he was tearing it up in AAA and the Marlins wanted to see what he was capable of at the major league level. Not really. 253, 330, 398 slash line. That's a 727 OPS in AAA as a 30-year-old. So the Marlins elect to call up Devin Marrero instead of Bryson Brigman. Marrero had to be added to the 40-man roster anyways, and I understand that with some guys coming back healthy soon, you're going to have Miguel Rojas back soon, that the Marlins probably didn't want to use one of Bryson Brigman's options, but who cares at this point? You are fighting for your life right now, and you are losing a lot of ball games really quickly. Things can get really ugly. You had an encouraging series against the Braves, and if you could just tread water in the meantime and at least take one of these three games against the Cardinals behind your pitching-centric team, right? We know this is a pitching-centric team, as Kim Ang said, but you still need to be able to put together a competent offense, and you know that your pitching is going to keep you in ball games. Devin Marrero is not a major leaguer. He's just not. Is Bryson Brigman? We don't know. We don't know if he's a major leaguer yet, but why don't we find out? And that's where I'm a bit confused. And I've talked to some people about whether I'm missing something as to why the Marlins wouldn't call up Bryson Brigman over Devin Marrero. And the same answer that I've gotten from people around the Marlins organization, people in baseball in general that know the Marlins situation, 40-man roster situation, and everything that goes with it, they all say the same thing. I have no clue what they're doing. And that is where it's a bit confusing to me. Because sometimes I'm thinking maybe there's something going on on the inside that I'm missing. Maybe there's a reason why. You look at options. You look at other things. But this doesn't make sense to me, especially when Brigman is in the middle of a hot streak. He's 26 years old at this point. He's having the best stretch he's had in the minor leagues. 
He can play all over the infield, and he hasn't already come up and failed like Devin Marrero has on several occasions. Why aren't you calling up Brigman? That's one side of things for me because that doesn't make any sense. There's just no way that the Marlins could go into yesterday's ball game with a lineup that goes Jazz Chisholm, John Birdie, Jesus Sanchez, Jorge Alfaro, Lewin Diaz, Luis Brinson, Magnaro Sierra, and Devin Marrero and think that they had a chance to score a run. Not win the game, score a run. I know they got close when Leywin Diaz just missed that home run. He's put some really good swings on balls overall. I've liked a lot of what we've seen from him. I like that his hands are a bit higher, and I think things are a bit smoother from him. Uh, right now at the plate, he did take an 0 for 4, but I liked the swings and only had one punch out. That aside, this lineup, that is a brutal lineup. And I will say, I've walked back a little bit of the concern about the Marlins giving guys multiple off days. I know they need to win ball games right now, but as I'm watching guys drop like flies around the league, and I mean drop like flies, and young players, Nick Madrigal out for the season now, just look at the White Sox, Luis Robert out, Eloy Jimenez. It's been really tough for them, but across the entire game, so many players going down because of the strange preparation or lack thereof and inconsistency with MLB scheduling heading into the year, which is understandable given the COVID pandemic, but after only playing 60 games the season prior with a lot of stop and start and then not a clear plan as to how they were going to lead into this season and not really deciding when to start spring training until very late, not allowing players to get their bodies ready and then jumping straight into a regular 162 game season without any more days off than they would normally have. That is a shock to the body and we're kind of seeing that take its toll on some of baseball's young players. So that being said, I can understand the Marlins being extra cautious there and trying to load manage their ball players a little bit, especially with how some of the guys have already gone down. I get that. But that being said, if you're going to have that plan, how can you stick by some of these brutal players that you have through your roster that you just refuse to move on from? We talk about 40-man roster management and how important it is for a team to be as resourceful as they can with each spot, not only on the active roster, but also the 40-man roster. And if several of your 40-man roster spots are being used on guys you refuse to throw the towel in on, you're going to struggle to field a good team. And more importantly, you're going to struggle to have that depth, especially when you're dealing with injuries. Yes, the Marlins have dealt with a ton of injuries, but they haven't put themselves in a situation here to be able to survive said injuries. When you're using 40-man roster spots on Lewis Brinson, and Magnera Sierra, as well as guys like Isan Diaz. That's three 40-man spots that just shouldn't be used right now. You could also consider the fact that Devin Marrero should not be on right now either. That's four 40-man roster spots that are wasted. And a lot of the head-scratching roster decisions that the Marlins are making all circle back to that kind of same notion, which is the fact that the Marlins are refusing to move on from a few guys on that 40-man roster. Because when you wonder why Bryson Brigman hasn't been called up, it's because the Marlins know that Miguel Rojas is going to be back soon and they would have to option him back to the minor leagues because you know why? They're not going to remove Isan Diaz from the active roster or the 40-man roster because the obvious answer here would be instead of calling up Marrero who you know you're going to send right back to AAA and you know will easily clear waivers whereas Brigman 
is rule five eligible and i don't see that guy clearing waivers if you had to remove him from the 40-man roster and that's why it is also a testament to the fact that if you don't think he's going to clear waivers it's probably because he belongs on a big league team right now a team would love to bring him in why aren't you doing that well the obvious answer is that it would force the marlins hand to move on from isan diaz and for whatever reason they refuse to do that and i can go on and on about how brutal he has been he's been picked off now three times which leads the league and also is providing no value anywhere else but the team's weird affinity for him and refusal to throw in the towel on what was a disastrous trade which is okay you win some you lose some they fleeced the cardinals in their trade of marcelo zuna they also are looking really good in that yankees trade because john carlos stanton still hasn't hit as many home runs in pinstripes as he did in his MVP season, his single MVP season with the Marlins, and they are financially handicapped. Yes, the Yankees right now are not in a desirable situation financially because of his contract. It's holding them back from being able to make a lot of moves. And the Marlins have actually been pleasantly surprised by Jose Devers, who's been forced to actually help them as well. So why are the Marlins not moving on from Diaz? I don't know. But the even more insane part about it is beyond Isan Diaz hurting the team on the field, the Marlins are handcuffing themselves 40-man roster-wise and decision-wise because of their refusal to move on from him. So there's a trickle-down of Isan Diaz screwing this team, and at that point, it's not even his fault. It's the Marlins' fault for not moving on from him. He needs a change of scenery. I wish him all the best elsewhere, but it's not going to happen here. I don't think you need to see anything else if you're the Marlins. He looks like he's swinging underwater. The bat speed's not there. He needs to get after it in the weight room. Let's say that's not something that he does a ton from what I've heard. So why are you not not just making that move to help your team now and just taking the loss on that trade. That is the unfortunate thing for me uh, with this Marlins team is it doesn't make sense. There really seems to be a disconnect there. And if you really were focused on winning now, then you would take the chance that Isan Diaz might figure it out elsewhere. I'd probably bet against that happening and I would not be losing sleep over Isan Diaz becoming a superstar somewhere else. And I will call up Bryson Brigman because I know that's going to help my team now if I'm the Marlins front office and I also know that Bryson Brigman has damn earned it so far this season and can't do much else offensively not to mention that he's more versatile he has more speed he's got more bat to ball skills what else do you want what we're seeing here is an absolute shame and also just the 40-man roster construction in general and the active roster the Marlins have also handcuffed themselves to the point where we're seeing John Curtis pinch hit I know that the Marlins are in a really tough situation right now. Don't get me wrong. It is a tough spot to be in, but you're pinch hitting John Curtis in a game, a one run game with a runner on first base and you're pinch hitting John Curtis late in the ball game. How is that possible? How in the world is that possible? And the Marlins finished that game with Lewin Diaz on the bench and Don Mattingly says, oh yeah, I didn't like the matchup for Diaz. So you liked the matchup for John Curtis better? I just don't understand. You don't have that many outs to spare. You can't be thinking about, oh, later on we'll do this. You take the moment in hand and you chase after that run. You had a runner on base in the seventh freaking inning of a close game. Put Diaz in. 
who cares? You can figure that out later. You want to try to get the lead there. Are you praying for a bases loaded situation in the top of the ninth? That's when you deploy Lewin Diaz. Like, what are you doing? Sometimes I think Don Mattingly overmanages. He overthinks, and that's a perfect example. Didn't like the matchup for Lewin Diaz, so we're going to save him for later for a better matchup for him, and he ends up not coming off the bench. I know Kim Ang said the Marlins were pitching centric, but I didn't know that meant relievers would be pinch hitting. Those are the types of things, and I don't like to just beat down on an organization while they're struggling. Trust me, I don't enjoy this, but I have to be honest. I have to call it like it is, and that is something that you don't see other teams in Major League Baseball making mistakes. You don't see other teams pinch hitting relievers in situations where they have actual hitters on the bench who end up never entering the ball game. That just can't happen. That's inexcusable at the major league level or at any level. It's inexcusable. I don't care what the rationale is or what the explanation is because no matter what, you pinch hit a reliever and you left an actual hitter on the bench when the game was over and that is all that matters. No matter what your reasoning was, no matter how things shook out, they should have never had the possibility of shaking out that way. That should never, ever, ever happen. And that is a big reason why the Marlins are struggling as well. Yes, this is an offense that should not be able to score a lot of runs. And we've seen that they are not able to score runs. It's been very challenging. But also, and I know Don Mattingly is in a really precarious and difficult situation because it is a brutal team that he has been handed right now, given the injuries. That being said, you can't overmanage to try to compensate for that. And that's exactly what we're seeing from Don. And it's compounding the issues even more. I want to end with more positive. So we're going to talk about John Birdie's magnificent June. He has really started to come alive at the plate, which is a nice development for the Marlins. And speaking of development, some prospects that have come along long way so far this season, and that should be on your radar that are exciting beyond just Nick Fortes. We've had a couple players that are emerging as guys that are worth your attention because they are red hot right now in the Marlins system. I'm going to get to all of that in just a moment. Before I get there, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by Wealthfront. Day trading can be a lot of fun, but if you want to grow your long-term wealth, you should open a Wealthfront account today. Investing can be complicated, and decades of data show that only 1% of day traders beat the market. The odds are not in your favor if you're doing it alone. Team up with Wealthfront instead. Wealthfront can create a portfolio of globally diversified low-cost index funds personalized just for you in minutes. No manual trades, no picking stocks, no watching the stock market every single day. They automatically handle all the investing based on preferences you control. Wealthfront is trusted with over $20 billion of assets, and you can get your first 5,000 managed for free by going to Wealthfront.com backslash locked on MLB. To get 5,000 managed for free, go to Wealthfront.com backslash locked on MLB. Go to Wealthfront.com backslash locked on MLB to get started today. Also brought to you by betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season's in full swing, and you can track all the action at BetOnline. Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all of your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all of your UFC and MMA action. Before next pitch, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news and sign up for bonuses and contest information. All you have to do is use the promo code LOCKEDON, that's one word locked on and you'll get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's promo code locked on for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Finally, brought to you by our friends at rockauto.com. 
Com. Why pay 20, 30, or 50% more for the same auto parts from a chain store or a car dealership when you can just go to rockauto.com and use their easy to navigate website to find whatever car parts you need, any make or model. An example of how much you can save at rockauto.com, a Honda Odyssey fuel pump is $353 at the chain store. At rockauto.com, just $216. They're a family-owned business that's been serving the do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Rockauto.com's prices are reliably low for every customer, and they have everything you can imagine, from the brake parts, tan lamps, motor oil, or even the new carpet. You should definitely check out rockauto.com's easy-to-navigate website and catalog to see all that they have to offer. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts they have and write locked on in the how did you hear about us section so they know we sent you amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com so let's talk a little john birdie and birdie has been fantastic in june and that has been a nice boost for the marlins not enough they need a lot more of a boost but it has been a nice development for the fish because they need the infield help and they also need birdie to be birdie and he has been since the start of june and i'd like to say it's because he is hitting the ball in the air more but he overall has not at least as the batted ball data would tell you he's still hitting the ball on the ground 63 percent of the time which would put him right around the highest in the league though the thing that has been working for him is that he's hitting more line drives. That's the difference. Instead of lazy fly balls when he's not hitting ground balls, he's squaring baseballs up. Is this a sustainable uh, method of success? Maybe not, because in previous seasons, Birdie has never had a ground ball rate this high. He's always had a high ground ball rate, was always in the 53% range, but right now at the 63% range is quite egregious. So I still want to see that get cut down but he is hitting the ball harder and it's working for him so far. The balls in play, the batting average on balls in play has been a lot better. His medium contact percentage is way better because he was hitting a lot more soft contact before. So there are a lot of encouraging signs in terms of just hitting the ball harder. Though he's not really hitting the ball in the air anymore, he's hitting more line drives and that's fine. And so far over this stretch here in June, he has been great. The exact numbers in June, a 319, 407, 362 slash line. So hitting for average, walking a lot, a 13% walk rate, not hitting for much power, but that's not what John Birdie does. The BABIP much higher, so maybe a little bit of luck, but also because he's hitting the ball a lot harder, up to 395, which isn't as bad as I thought it would be. I thought it would be in the high 400s, some seeing eye singles, but honestly, he's been lining out a lot. He's been hitting the ball right at dudes. I think he's lined out to right field, like a laser shot to right field at least five times this month. So he's definitely had a little bit of bad luck still too, but the numbers have been good. He's walking a lot. Again, yeah, that slugging percentage isn't great, but he's still good for a 127 WRC plus 15 for 55 over the span of June. And that is a nice boost for the Marlins. So hopefully John Birdie can sustain that. It is nice to see him starting to come alive a little bit for this team as they very, very much need him and not Devin Marrero. As for some of the prospects that have been standing out, Troy Johnston is an interesting, interesting story here. Johnston was a 17th round pick by the Marlins back in 2019 from Gonzaga University, where he was a good player. Nothing that absolutely jumps off the page, but had a very, very strong junior season where he hit 330, 402, 610 slash line, 10 homers. Not a guy that would 
probably say his power is his calling card, but a really smooth swing from the left side, a very patient approach, and one of those high floor guys that you figured could just hit through the minor leagues, wouldn't wow you in any way, but just puts the bat on the ball, walks, doesn't strike out much, but you were just wondering if he was going to be able to put up enough power to anchor a first base or corner outfield spot, which is where he is likely to play. Well, Troy Johnston all of a sudden is showing some more power, and the more I watch him, I absolutely love his swing. It is so, so smooth from the left side. He's comfortable hitting to all fields. His hit distribution or batted ball distribution is almost favoring oppo more than anywhere else. It actually is. He goes the other way more than he goes anywhere else, but now he's hitting the ball in the air more, which is really good to see from him because, again, he has to hit for power if he's going to play corner outfield or first base. It doesn't have to be 40 home runs, but he needs to hit more than a handful, and he's looking like he's starting to do that a bit more. He's getting more leverage on that swing, and now we're seeing him hit the ball in the air a bit more, and his home run to fly ball rate has dramatically, dramatically changed. From his time in low A, it was a short stint in low A back in 2019 after the draft. He made 59 starts there, but he did not have nearly the home run to fly ball rate. 4% home run to fly ball rate. And for those wondering, that just means that 4% of his fly balls left the yard. So far this season, between a ball and high A, now where he got the call up to Beloit, he is hovering right around 14% home run to fly ball rate. So 14% of the balls he's hitting in the air are leaving the yard, which is a obviously much better figure. For Johnston, the numbers have been fantastic since he earned his promotion up to high A, and he's actually caught fire since earning his promotion up to high A. So far, in A ball, he put together a 350, 427, 446 slash line, then gets the call up to high A, and in 14 games, 300, 417, 640 slash line, he's hit four home runs in 14 games already. Make that five home runs total now in the 38 games between the two levels. He's walking a ton, a 13% walk rate between the two levels, and he still kept the strikeouts in check so far. The strikeout rate did jump from A ball to high A as expected but it's still at 23%. So he is still keeping it largely in check thanks to that smooth swing from the left side. It's short, compact. He's comfortable going the other way and hitting it where it's pitched. And that is a reason why I think he didn't hit as many home runs before is that he was looking more bat to ball, drive the ball where it's pitched. But now he's using those hitters counts a bit more. If he's ahead, he's looking for something middle in and he's destroying it. And that's the good part about what we're seeing from Johnson is he has the confidence of like, I can take a swing in a good hitter's count to try to take advantage of it and leave the yard. And then if I get deeper into the count, I know that I'm able to hit the ball where it's pitched and survive in two strike counts to be able to compete out there. So he is a bit more aggressive at the plate. And I love what we're seeing from Johnston. So keep an eye on him in high A for Beloit right now. There's some of those players right now for the Marlins in their system that have really pleasantly surprised after maybe being a bit more under the radar heading into the year. That is always something you love to see. And then even guys like Jake Eater, who have been so good after the draft and just not really what we expected. At least I didn't expect Jake Eater to have 55 strikeouts and 35 innings and a 1.26 ERA. So it has been a lot of fun to watch these Marlins minor leaguers get off to good starts beyond just the more notable names that the Marlins have 
have in their system. And speaking of less notable names that have been really impressive, and this is a guy I'm not really going to even pretend I know a ton about. I'm gonna do my digging, and I promise I'm gonna do more digging and give you a more in-depth breakdown on this guy, but I still wanted to mention him to just get him on your radar as well. Sean Gunther, seventh round pick back in 2017 by the Marlins out of Notre Dame, and he is a lefty reliever, no doubt about it. And from what I've seen, limited video, looks like a great curveball, and the fastball is a lot more lively than it was when he was at Notre Dame. I gotta do more digging and I will get back to you, I promise. I'm gonna talk to some guys that faced him and get a little bit more intel on what Gunther has been doing. But the numbers are very, very impressive for Gunther so far this season. And honestly, that rather puts it lightly. He's been lights out. So far between double A and triple A, the 25 year old Southpaw is pitching to a 0.77 ERA, 23 and a thirds innings pitched. He struck out 32. He's only surrendered 16 hits and he has only walked three. This is an intriguing guy for the Marlins. And again, he's still only 25. So he could be an option for this bullpen. And that's why if I'm looking at the Marlins right now, I am trading almost any bullpen arm I can get a return for. I just think at this point in today's game, if the Marlins are really struggling too, if you can get something for Anthony Bender, who's going to be a free agent after this season, you cash that in. Nick Anderson style, cash that in. He doesn't have the controllability that Anderson had, but cash in Bender. Somebody will give something up for him. If you can get something for some of the other guys. Do it because there are so many players that just emerge from your system that can hold down the typical middle relief spots where you need to spend money is the back end spots that are really important. And I think that's where the disconnect is with the Marlins bullpen is yes, it's been a strength because they've had a lot of these guys from the minor leagues or a couple guys that they acquired that are really good in the middle innings, but you got to have that dominant guy in the back end. I still think that's always going to be one of those traditional things that baseball needs and you can't stray too far away from that. But Sean Gunther looks like a legitimate option for the Marlins that they could potentially look at calling up later in the season at already 25 years old. And he is not a guy that's come out of absolutely nowhere because even in the earlier years of his professional career, he was good for the Marlins. In 2019, between A-ball and high A, he was making a few starts here and there, but mostly out of the bullpen. He pitched really well there. 2.02 ERA between those two levels, punched out 72 and 71 in the thirds innings. But now there seems to be more swing and miss stuff for Gunther, and he has been a nightmare for lefties to face. So far this season, lefties are hitting a buck 88 against him, but they are striking out 50% of the time. 50% of the time they are striking out against Gunther and they are two for 32. It has been great. And it's not like righties are comfortable against him either. So with the new three batter rule, yes, you still have your lefty specialist, but if he has to face a righty, he could be pretty good if this translates to the major league level. Righty's hitting just 200 against him and he's still punching them out at a decent rate, not 50% of the time, but still striking them out at a decent rate. So Gunther is interesting. Let's keep our eyes on him because he has been another one of those pleasant surprises for the Marlins. Last guy I wanted to mention, and he has been discussed more and more, and he's going to be somebody that I believe is going to be one of the more frequent talked about prospects in the Marlins system in the coming years. He was born in 2003. I've mentioned him a few times in the past. My man Daniel DeVivo has a love for this guy like no other. Yuri Perez, six foot eight. 18-year-old who has been way, way, way more advanced 
than I thought he would be. I wasn't even sure we were going to see him too much this year, and I thought he might be spending more time on the backfields. Nope, they throw him right into full season ball in low A, and he has been just magnificent. A .72 ERA across seven starts, 25 innings pitched. He has struck out 34 and walked only seven. If you're telling me a six foot eight, 18 year old is going to have this kind of command this early in his career, things may be looking a lot different in terms of his long-term outlook. We could be looking at a guy that has the makings to be a superstar, an ace type of dude. It's still super far away and a lot can happen, but the ceiling is limitless for this guy. You can't really put a ceiling on a six foot eight, 18 year old who is already showing a feel for three pitches. The fastball is pretty lively and you would assume that a guy with his stature at 6'8", 200 is only going to gain velocity as he becomes more physical. The changeup flashes plus already and he mixes in a curveball that I think is going to be good enough to be a quality third pitch. The command is what really stands out the most to me. To have that long of levers and still be able to control your body at 6'8", 200 and as young as he is without the experience that he's had, he's only going to get better and better and as the velocity upticks, as the stuff gets better and he also continues to build on already present command, look out for Yuri Perez. He's got top 100 written all over him. There's so many other guys I'd love to talk about, and I'll save it for the next episode as we're already at 35 minutes, but I hope you enjoyed this episode, and the Marlins have a day off today. Then we get ready for that Cubs series. I'll have a preview for you on that one coming tomorrow morning. That would be Friday morning for the Marlins Cubs series. As always, thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking prospects with you tomorrow.